the Mom Village podcast. We are three multicultural moms sharing our journey through motherhood with the Christ Center Foundation. For information and resources, visit us at our church's website at gofamilychurch.org. Or you can also email us at themomvillage at gofamilychurch.org. And please go over and follow us on Instagram at themomvillagefc. We're glad that you're here and welcome to our village. Hello, Mom, and welcome to the Mom Village. We are so happy you're joining us today. My name is Chismeri Ramos, and I'm here with my ladies, like always, Kristen Scroggins. Hi, ladies. And Kira Kelly. Hey, Village. And Village, we have a special episode. We always say we have a special episode. I mean, they're all special to us because we love you, Village, but this one is beyond special. Kristen, mm-hmm. why is this one beyond special? Oh my goodness, ladies, you're in for a treat. We have a special guest with us today. We're going to be interviewing in a two-part series, Bible teacher and author, Jen Wilkin. Jen, thanks for being with us today. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. So Jen has been doing these studies and books and speaking for many years now, but what we really want to know, Jen, we want you to tell us about the Wilkin family. (laughs) Well, Jeff and I have been married for 29 years, and we have four kids that we had in four years, and then we actually picked up a fifth child along the way. She came to be a part of our family about eight years ago, Mm -hmm. but all of those kids are between the ages of 26 and 22, so all a big pack, uh, just a peer group is kind of what we raised in our home. Wow. Wow. 20s. Wow. So 29 years. So can you tell us a little bit more, Jan, about how do you and Jeff meet and what do you admire about him? Jeff and I met in college. It was my senior year and his junior year. And I was studying English, but I was going to get a master's in business. So I was taking all of my electives in the College of Business. He was in the business school. And so I had never seen him before. And then the first semester of my senior year, I ended up having a class with him on Tuesday, Thursdays and a class with him on Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. Mm. And he's, look at, look at how she memorized it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's six foot five. So he stood, he stood out. out. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm tall also. So, you know, tall girls are always kind of like keeping That's an right. eye yeah. out. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's an tall option. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we were actually really good friends for the first year. We were doing student ministry at a church that was right off of campus together and then started dating the following fall. And yeah, it's great. And the thing that I love the most about him is that he is not an ambitious person in the way that I think of, you know, people who are always pushing, pushing, pushing. He does not require that people recognize or celebrate him. Mm -hmm. He does the right thing and he does it well because it's the right thing to do. And I've just always really admired that in him. He's a very hard worker and a diligent and loyal person who just does the right thing. So he's the best. So it sounds like he's such a great support. Can you tell us a little bit more about how his support has spurred on your ministry over the years? Oh my gosh. Okay. So he's been a true partner in parenting, you know, like even when the kids were very small, you know, he would like forego travel situations so that he could 
be home right at five. And mm. cause we'd put the kids to bed at seven. Cause I needed to tap out by seven o'clock. <laughs> <Don't laughs> <we'd> <laughs> yeah. He'd be home, you know, so we could sit down and get a meal in together and then he'd take them and get them all washed up while I was, you know, I would be downstairs doing the dishes with my hands in this warm water. Like uh, it's the closest I'm coming to a, a spot. A, a manicure. Country, you know? <laughs> so he was always very, you know, present and involved with the kiddos, but he also, he cheerleaded for me. You know, he told me that he saw my gift and that I should use them. Mm -hmm. And so as opportunities began to arise for me to serve in the church or to go and speak at a women's retreat in the middle of nowhere, he would say, you go, I've got this. You're fine. Go do your thing. And, you know, for many years, I did not get paid to do ministry in any form or fashion and had no expectation that I ever would. And so I always like to say that Jeff funded Jen Wilkin <laughs> ministry, <laughs> you know, ministry. for a solid two decades to be sure. And never once said anything like, Hey, you know, are you ever going to be able to turn that? He just knew that it was what I loved and, and he supported me in it. So, so beautifully. Mm, wow. wow. So four children's in four years. I know yeah. there's a lot of us that can understand. And there's a lot of people in our village that can understand, but how do you, balance diaper changes and sleepless nights, you know, with that tax of like training and toddler preschoolers and also teaching them about God plus being a mom and being a leader. I mean, how do you balance all that in yeah. those young years? Yeah, I don't remember a lot of it. Oh, okay, okay. So we're not the only ones. <laughs> I heard, yeah. You know, a lot of it is just day to day and then evaluating how did that go or how what's the trend I'm seeing here and asking for help when you need help. In terms of balancing ministry and home, you know, I think that sometimes in the church, we don't necessarily understand women to have a dual calling. And so there's an idea that anything that is happening outside of my home is robbing what is happening inside my home. Mm -hmm. And we did not find that to be the case. It's true that there's always a cost to doing ministry, but there's a cost to doing anything, you know, any, any activity or anything that you're involved in that's not, you know, taking place in the home. And so I think it's not a question of, is that, you know, good or bad? It's is the cost worth it? And so, you know, again, Jeff was always so great at saying, yeah, absolutely worth it. Like you're not just a mom, you're the mom who's also a Bible teacher. And so we, as the children were growing, we really messaged to them, first of all, that their contributions in the home were substantive. Like it wasn't like, I'm just training you to do your laundry because you should know how to do your laundry. It was if you do your laundry, then all of this goes better, you know? So their contributions were real. They weren't just symbolic or for the purpose of training. And then as they got old enough to understand, you know, what I was doing with my Tuesday nights or Tuesday mornings, which for a long time took place in the living room, it was, Hey, if you manage your own business, you know, you get your homework done, you keep your space clean, you help me get the house cleaned up you've been a ministry partner, like you partnered in ministry to women. And so we tried to make sure that the whole family was partnering together in whatever, you know, the mission was at that point. And, you know, Jeff has always been super involved in children's ministry. And so as the kids were going through middle school and high school and were old enough to serve in those spaces, he would bring them in to lead worship with him or help him teach the lesson. And so that was some of what we did is we just tried to do as much of what we all had to do in ministry and home together in the same spaces. So that kind of leads us into our next question. We talk a lot about Deuteronomy 
chapter 6, verse 7 here on the mom village. And I know that that is an important scripture in your life and as you and Jeff have parented. And actually, I know that you're like a self-proclaimed, not super warm and fuzzy, you know, touchy-feely kind of person. (laughs) But Jen, I listened to a podcast that you were on in preparing for this time with you, and you got choked up talking about this scripture. And so talk to our village about how this command from God, and and let me just read it for those. It says, repeat these things to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down at night and when you get up. Talk about how that command from God to parents has impacted the way that you've approached motherhood. Yeah, you know, my kids were raised in, I would imagine, a space that's fairly similar to a lot of our listeners. We lived in the suburbs. It was, in our case, a fairly affluent neighborhood where every opportunity was provided to children at the earliest age possible. And there was a sense that If you did not expose your child to every potential pathway that might be in front of them to honestly, to be wildly successful, you know, fame and glory kind of things like get them into the NFL, get them into the NHL, get them on the club, whatever, that you were not actually fulfilling your role as a parent. But what we found was that especially having the children so close in age, it was very clarifying for us. Because, you know, the two non-renewable resources that we have are time and money. Mm -hmm. And both of those were going to be severely compromised if we had kids in multiple activities, certainly. And so we came up with a rule for the kids. It was a guideline. It wasn't hard and fast that when it came to activities, they could do one or none. And the idea that a child would do no activities, you know, was to many of the parents in our parenting group, just mind boggling. Mm -hmm. And we did make an exception for musical instruments because we tried to weigh what we were going to give their extracurricular time to in terms of what had longevity. You know, my husband played football and basketball all the way through high school and loves athletics. But he said, you know, I couldn't care. I couldn't do that for the rest of my life. There was going to be a point at which I couldn't do that anymore. And so we tried to prioritize activity time for things like a musical instrument or something that you can enjoy throughout your entire lifetime. But we recognized the reality that we were not all going to be in the same spaces, sitting down together, walking by the way, lying down and rising up. If we were all pulled in different directions toward our individual interests and You know, what's been fascinating to me too, is I've even given some thought through the years to the way that the homes that are designed for us are actually designed to pull us apart and not put us together. We think that the ideal scenario is for each child to have their own space, their own bedroom, and for us to have our own room and everybody to have their own entertainment device and their own this and their own that, which means that the commonalities that we used to experience just in the physical spaces that we called our homes have been stripped away from us. And we're actually all a bunch of individuals living under the same roof, but looking less and less like the family that we see Mm -hmm. described for us in Deuteronomy. So we really placed a priority on as many shared experiences as we could have. People didn't have their own playlists to listen to on a car trip. We all listened to the same music. You know, it was just layer upon layer of how can we all share the same experience with the hope that their understanding of our family was that it's always a place they want to come home is always a place they want to come back to, Yeah, you know, that that's their primary place of belonging. 
Yeah. And you're sharing with us like these practical things that you guys, you know, did back then. And I guess you guys still do even when you get together. But what were those other practical things that you guys did, but to graft mm -hmm. the truth of God into everyday life, you know? And then what were those like non-negotiables, you know, like, yeah, we're going to do this just to keep you guys mm -hmm. and teach you about the gospel and teach you about Christ. But we have these non-negotiables, you know, those things yeah. are a priority that it doesn't matter what comes, we're not going to deal with them. How do you guys handle that? Yeah. So we definitely had some structure to that. We did have a family Devo structure that we had. And as the kids, you know, it's like you start when the kids are younger and you have maybe higher frequency, but you can accomplish less <laughs> during that time. Yeah. And then as they get older, you have lower frequency, but you can accomplish more. And yeah. so I always encourage parents, let that timeline play out just because you were having a little touch point with them five nights a week when they were five and you now only have one when they're 15, you haven't done anything wrong. That's just how, you know, the, the river of life carries us along. But what Deuteronomy is describing, Deuteronomy 6 is describing a climate of conversation in the home. And when we tend to think about discipleship of our kids, we think about big conversations, right? Like I want to make sure I nail it when we talk about sex, or I want to make yeah. sure I nail it when we talk about our faith. And really what Deuteronomy is describing is, will you have big conversations? I mean, maybe, but your home is characterized by conversation day in and day out so that it's a million small conversations and a place where everyone's voice can be heard and questions can be asked. Like I look around at so many people who are now, everyone reaches adulthood and looks back on the faith of their childhood, whether the absence or presence of it, mm -hmm. and evaluates it against their adult experience of the world. But to see the way deconstruction is playing out among children who were raised in the church tells me or makes me suspect that in many cases, their own homes were not places where they were able to ask the soul-sucking question about their faith mm -hmm. and have a full-grown adult go, I don't know. That is kind of terrifying. Let's yeah. see what we can find out about it. You know, yeah. so that's what we want our homes to be. And that's what we tried to do in our own home was if someone asked a question, you put down whatever you were doing and you sat down and you had the conversation or in the car, you know, this is a big thing in the car. We typically would not have the radio on or even play Christian songs because if music is on in the car, people aren't talking and the car was often a place where conversation would sort of show up in the day. And so just being aware of what is promoting those moments and what is removing those moments and then doing everything in your power to create a place where any topic can be discussed at any time with as much ease as possible. Well, I think sometimes parents don't want there to be that time because some of us feel super ill-equipped to answer. Mm -hmm. But yeah. what you just gave people permission to maybe even without realizing it, saying, I don't know. Let's yeah. see if we can figure this out. And that's really where our church family comes in, right? It's like yes. sometimes we don't know and that's okay. And so when we're stripping them of these moments at church together with our families together, we're filling those times in with things that are fleeting instead mm -hmm. of building this sense of community that we have with our churches to partner together with us. And we're losing, leaving a huge resource on the table. Absolutely. Well, and I think that feeling of panic you get when your child asks you a question, like I've often said to parents, if your first reflex is not to formulate an answer, but to ask a follow-up question of mm -hmm. your child, 
it not only does it buy you time, which is you know <laughs> fantastic, but you also get a better sense of what was driving the question in the first That's place. Because right I think so often we superimpose our own set of fears or uh, lack of understanding onto the question the child has asked. And so, you know, once a child is at a developmentally appropriate stage to receive a question in response to a question, that is like such a great way to enter into that conversational climate is to ask the clarifying questions until you know exactly what is the question behind the question that the child has asked you. Mm. That's great. Wow. Jen, I'm sitting here writing like a ton of notes. (laughs) (laughs) Thinking of all the things I need to like do over. But with that being said, your children are now adults and they're out of your home and you're a grandmother. As you reflect as a mom, is there anything that you would do over regarding motherhood? And if so, what would that do over be for you? I think that my tendency is toward control. Mm -hmm. I make rules for my rules. (laughs) And uh, I do, you know, and if I feel like control is dissipating, I respond by making new rules. Mm. And Mm. so I think that, you know, I was aware of that when the kids were younger and I did things to try to mitigate that. Like I tried to recognize that I was a no mom, you know, and that there were yes moms out there and that was not me. (laughs) And, And Jeff is more of a yes dad than a no dad, but probably not enough to always offset my rules for my rules. (laughs) And so I think that if I had it to do over again, knowing my own tendency, I would be quicker to say yes to things that I said no to because I had a tendency to say no, because it was personally inconvenient to me in some way versus, you know, just wanting to do something that was good for them. And so there are some times where I said no, that I wish I had just paused and thought about it and just laid my yes on the table. But now you can redeem yourself because you're in grandma. So you can say yes everything. That's right. Well, you know, so I chose my grandma name to be Sugar and I, because I heard it. I had gone over to the next door neighbor's house and that was what they called their grandma. And so the kids were all like in middle school-ish when I come home and tell them, this is what I'm going to be. I'm going to be Sugar. And they were like, mom. And I was like, what? I want to be sugar. Who doesn't want to go to sugar's house? You know, your kids are going to call me sugar. And they're like, mom. And finally I was like, what? Let me be sugar. And they go, but mom, you're not sweet. Oh. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be sweet with your grandbaby. You know, with my grandbaby. They're calling, yeah, they're calling that's a whole you different sour, story. They're calling you sour patch kids. Sour <laughs> sweet. That's right. Yeah, so. you can be sweet all you want with those grandbabies. It's not our job to tell them no, is it? That's right. That's right. Well, just in closing, we're going to wrap this episode up, but we have another chance to hear from you with our episode two. So stay tuned for that, ladies. But In closing, what is something that you wanted to make sure that your children knew or had confidence in before they left your home? Yeah, it was that home is your primary place of belonging. Mm -hmm. It was no matter where you go. Mm -hmm. Ah, We almost made it to the end, guys. (laughs) (laughs) You can always come back. You can't say anything or do anything. That means you can't walk back through that front door. Mm -hmm. And so... That has been our hope. And, you know, not that home is a place you never leave, but that home is a place you always are happy to return to. And because, you know, kids are just looking for who they are. And we really, it the end result of your child spending more time invested in a sports team or a club or whatever it is, is that they begin to ask that to identify them instead of, you know, these people who know them the most and have loved them the longest. 
And I do think that that you can be deeply involved in extracurricular activities and still have this sense. You can, but I think it's worth paying attention to whether I, as a parent, am constantly messaging, you know, we're your people, we've got your back, because that's how the Lord calls us to be in community in the home with one another. So yeah, that would be it. Well, you know what? There is not a whole lot more we could say for this episode other than Village. Please stay tuned because we have so much more with Jen Wilkin. We are so thankful and grateful that you've taken time out to not only speak to our village, but to speak to our hearts Mm -hmm. here sitting around the table. So we look forward to speaking with you for episode two with Jen Wilkin. Thank you so much for joining us. We're saying bye. Jen, we always say bye. All the ladies, we never get it together, but let's try it with you. Ready? One, (laughs) two, three. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha